In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back. We have another fabulous story to tell. I am excited uh, David is with us today. Met David under, I would say, unusual circumstances. Uh, we were coming out of COVID, and I have a really good friend, Aaron. That's our mutual friend, and then also through Scott. And we were like, hey, we need to get together as men, and we need to tell stories. And to be honest, uh, David has added to the inspiration for Steve and I to be able to start this narrative and to be able to actually start sharing some of these incredible stories. So I'm really, number one, grateful that, David, you're willing to share this. Number two is I'm also grateful for the fact that you've helped us and, and worked with us. So that's there's that aspect of it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, I'm so grateful you're here. Well, thank you. That was a <laughs> nice way to begin it. I think we can call that a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I was just surprised you with that part of it. But like I, yeah, like we said in the off screen, and uh, we do this every time. So we're going to go ahead and just jump into, I'll ask this question is just to get you started. What did you think life was going to be like before you became adult? Or what did you expect your adult life was going to actually look like? Wow. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I don't know exactly if I knew what I would expect. I mean, I knew what I dreamt about and what I hoped. Yeah, I'm trying to think where to, to jump in there. Some of the dreaming stuff, I, you know, I had a memory today. I, there was a kind of an imaginary game we used to play, my, my brother and I, years ago and, and, and things like that. And, and then I would even kind of go into this imagination alone. And I remember even as a young person, there was something around like this um, beautiful lodge. I'd never even been to a lodge. And the lodge was, you know, in the mountains. And that yeah, was beautiful. And I just have this memory of, in my mind, I was driving into this place in like an old Woody, you know, an old Wagoneer, just that kind of classic mountain truck. And, and I think the most important part of the imagination for me is that there was like a, a community waiting for me. Hmm. I didn't know who they were, but they were together. We were super close. Life was good. We were doing life together. I'm a romantic sort, you know, and in terms of temperament, I would show up as that as well. Very imaginative and heartfelt. And, you know, I, I spent a fair amount of time. I mean, I wasn't obsessed with it. Probably about what more, most young people do, but I, I spent a fair amount of time in my imagination, kind of imagining a life that I really wanted. What pushed you into the imagination state? Like, what was it? Was there things going on around you that caused you to actually want to step into the imagination type state as a child? Or was there, was there challenges as far as growing up? Or what, what created that imaginary kind of feeling or thought process? Good question. I don't know if I can answer it for sure. But I mean, part of it's just your wiring. I mean, some people are just prone to kind of live in their head and live in their imagination. And, and I'm definitely that sort. I'm creative, heartfelt, you know, I love music. Certain types of music can even bring me to tears. And, you know, I'm just that, that kind of large hearted person. Maybe in a harder way or a bit of a sadder way. I think as I look back on it, I was pretty lonely. You know, I, I was drawn to relationships. I was drawn to long conversations. I, I was playful. You know, I, I was looking for this 
kind of ideal community. Both my parents worked, they worked full time. My dad was very seldom home, he was a very quiet man. You know, money wasn't there. I, you know, I don't have this exciting, really interesting childhood. I mean, I, I did get introduced to music, which was great, but we spent quite a bit of time alone in our house. If you remember the idea, I think it was called the Latchkey Kid that came out of the <laughs> I was just going to, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I would have kind of, you know, for your listeners, if they're not familiar, that's just, you know, parents are gone, working a lot. It's the kid who kind of, you know, puts the key around his neck and lets himself in. We were, you know, very bored, honestly, bored, lonely. And so I think the escape was to kind of imagine something that wasn't that. Mm. And, and, you know, you and I both believe in a creator and, and that's a category that we hang on to. And, many ways right for hope and even we expect to experience the creator and all of that and i think as i look back on my life it, it wasn't just a psychological escape i think he was giving me icons signposts something to say this this is what your life is going to be and you're not aware of it when you're younger but so the, the hopeful part was is that's deep in me i think we're all called with like these deep desires that almost hurt they're so so much a part of us so it makes sense that as I got older, I really was drawn to and then committed to creating community, creating connection, space, not to live alone, you know, to let other people in. You know, people have different versions of heaven and scriptures have different versions of heaven. I don't know, streets of gold and jewels. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't do even feasting. And I love to eat. doesn't do a lot for <laughs> <to> me. <laughs> But when Paul says, it, you know, that now I only see in part, you know, in part, you know, but there will be a time where, uh, you know, I will, I will see even as I'm fully seen and I will know in full, even as I am fully known. Like for me, all the scriptures that, I mean, that, that's it. That lights me up to be able mm. to be seen and known, you know, uh, I forget who the pastor was, but years ago, someone, uh, 30 years ago, I think I heard something like everyone longs to celebrate and be celebrated and we long to know and be known mm. it might have been so, the other way but yeah no i i totally get that and there's uh i mean you're touching a part of a soul aspect that i think many of us resonate with as a child though was there and i'm i'm please don't i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but did you feel the lack, therefore, of being seen and being known as a child just because of the latchkey aspect of parents just, they're just busy. They they loved us, but they were just busy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we just didn't have options. There was something in me, and again, you know, where it comes from, everybody experienced it differently. But I was like convinced, even to the point where it was painful and even depressing, that there's got to be more to life, but mm -hmm. I don't know how to get it. You know, if you go into the world of temperament and I, you know, use that in, in my work a little bit, you know, my particular temperament isn't real common. And so as a the young person, you don't understand that. You just get the sense that I'm different and I don't fit. Okay. And, and it usually doesn't come to you in a positive way. Like, wow, you're really unique and rare. It comes from, no, I, I don't fit. I'm alone. People don't get me. I don't get them. And so I, I think at times I, I felt profound loneliness. I mean, I have some pretty, you know, sad moments where I would stay in our basement for hours and just kind of sit in that, didn't know what to do with it, you know? And, and so as I look back on it, I think it was a form of depression as well. So, you know, I don't want to, my, my, you know, I don't have this terribly sad story or anything like that. We, you know, we had a couple of buddies on the street, but 
I really wanted more. I could, I mean, you could see it in the games I played. You could see it in the films I watched. You could hear it in the music I listened to. And I'm an idealist by temperament. And we're always pining away for this ideal future that we can't see. So I, it comes to me naturally. And so, you know, I'm really grateful for my mom, especially she introduced us. I don't know a lot of parents that collected movie soundtracks. I mean, that's just not a thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, we didn't even know we weren't aware of it. Other than that, when I look back on it, my mom had album after album after album of, of film soundtracks. And hmm. that was a beautiful escape for me, especially if the film was good. So, yeah, you know, creative. I went to an arts camp, didn't want to go at first. And the first week was rough because I'd never been away from home. By the end of the first week, it's like, in a good way, home didn't even exist. Like, I never wanted to go back. I, I was finally in a world where people seemed to make sense to me and I was invited in and they felt deeply and they didn't hide it and they were creative and they were different and they were unique. And, you know, they were, you know, they wore their heart out on their sleeve and we talked about, you know, even love or ideal, you know, people were into creating music, creating a better world, right? I mean, think about it, the creative arts, the dance and, and, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the, the visual artists and, and then all the music. I loved that place so much that I, I ended up going on staff for a summer and I'd lost it, unfortunately, but I took, you know, at the time of what we call a boom box, right? You know, the big old stereo thing. Yeah. And I carried it with a tape cassette and I went from one end to the camp and it was at least a, a mile to get to the other end. And I spent probably an hour and a half just walking from one camp and to the back to the end. And if I bumped into somebody just talking and sort of like a reporter without them knowing I was doing it, I just wanted to capture all the sounds. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So I just looking back and reflecting with you, uh, kind of taking that journey, I, I, for me, it was very similar. I mean, everybody identified with sports and that was always the big thing when we were kids. If you were good at sports, you had a group, you had a friend and you felt like you belonged. But for those of us that enjoyed musicals or were a little bit artistic or whatever, there wasn't a whole lot of that kind of group where you felt like, and then didn't hear that. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying there. So, you know, kind of as we transition into like, that was the childhood aspect. And then we have this, for lack of a better word, utopia that we are searching for as far as in the future. What was the wake up call kind of a thing of like, we have this, which is we're really, really intensely lonely. And then now we want to get to that dream imaginary state. Like, what is that middle part? Like where we call it the bend in the road or the reality smacking you in the face that we can't have the imagination, but we can have something that we can work towards. Like, was there something that kind of just like, hey, okay, now you got to be responsible. You got to be an adult and now we got to do life. And was there anything along the lines of that? Yeah. And I guess I'm staying in the first kind of piece for just a moment. So mm. some of the, you know, I, I heard, uh, listened to a couple of your podcasts and this idea of some of the deep beliefs that you grew up under, right? Mm. That aren't helpful. You know, again, I'll, I'll use the kind of the language of wild at heart and those guys, you know, they would talk that they would talk about messages that mm -hmm. messages are formed over you. You're usually not conscious of them, but, they, but they're, they're in the deep place and you operate. It's like an operating system. You operate from them unconsciously. And, you know, as I thought about talking with you and, and some of the things that really held me back, my dad was a really hard worker, but he, he worked to escape. He gave up on a dream when he was very young and he, I think he was a lifelong sufferer of depression. And so 
you know, he never sat down and said this to me, but we grew up with this idea that, you know, work is basically a necessary evil. It will always be hard. You'll always work with bad people. It will be drudgery. My dad didn't know how to handle my twin and I. He just was not home. He, he, you know, he was frustrated. And I remember one time he says, you two are just, uh, you're like girls. I mean, that's the best he could say. And it was like, what? Well, you know what he was picking up on is that we love to chat. We love to be on the phone. We, you know, and in my dad's stereotypic mind, you know, people who were, you know, very emotional and talked all the time and wanted to hear, you know, that for him, that was a, a feminine trait. Well, that wasn't helpful. And so, you know, there was this idea that, remember, he also would say, you know, it would have been great if you two had to go to the military. That would have really grown you up. And he was also very suspicious, even contemptuous of confident, successful people, especially men. Hmm. So if you kind of put those all together, right, you need to grow up. You need to start acting like a man. We don't know what that is, but it's not you. You know, gosh darn it, the military would have been good for you, right? And be very suspicious of confident people. Well, then, you know. I kind of come out of that with one theme, Tim, and I think I believe I would always live alone. Hmm. You know, that that's I never a scary be. thought. Yeah, and and maybe for me, a little more close way to say it is, I'll never be invited in. Hmm. I'll never make it in to the little bit that you shared, right? Like, you know, I'm not with the ones that are in, right? I don't, I, I, I don't have that ability. I don't have that whatever that is. I'm going to be left out, and so you know, to move in this idea of kind of what changed things. I, I was aware that I was pretty depressed as an adult in my 30s. I mean, I don't know if you've got to meet Becky yet. She's a, an incredibly warm, caring, motherly type. I mean, I might, I'm even aware at times that I kind of come to her for that mothering piece. And, you know, you need to be aware of that. You, you, you know, you, you, you've married a, <laughs> a woman, um, you know, a, a wife. You, you can't, you know, you've got to be aware of what you go to your wife for. And, and yet it was also full of goodness, right? She, she understood and she cared. And she just started to speak into my life with words and just without words that you're amazing. I love you. You light up my life. You make me laugh. You're special. I mean, all of those things that I just never heard. And yet, you know, I could tell that I, I was a melancholy. I was a pastor. I can tell you this. I remember standing in a kitchen and telling God, and again, I don't know who your viewers are, and that's fine. I don't know what categories they have or beliefs, but I said to God, I was looking at the story of Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, he's on whatever. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I said, you know, God, I'm, I'm kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. And I'll tell you why. I'm not successful like he was, and I don't have all the power he does, but I'm pretty good on my own. I remember saying to him, you turn him into a raving lunatic, right? first season. I wonder if I need that. Like, how are you going to blow up my life? I'm a good guy. I'm pretty moral. I kind of do the right things. And frankly, I don't know you at all. You're a concept. The Bible's like, you're my pen pal, you know? And that was start of the change where I could just admit, and there was a couple of other things that I just it had finally admit I feel really alone with my maker as well. You were just a nice concept. And then a few things happened. I, I, I received some life coaching from a man in Michigan. We don't have time, but 
that led me into doing that for other men. But then I went to this retreat. I read a book. I never heard of this guy. It was way before Google. I was on some <laughs> internet site and I found a phone number and I called his number. And I said, listen, I don't know if you're, there's more than one John Eldridge in California. I don't know if I got the right one. I don't know if you wrote a book, but if you did, I don't even know why I'm calling it, just reaching out. And that's all. I mean, I was one of these, like, I don't even know why I'm calling. I'm embarrassed. Click. Nothing came of it for a couple of months until my phone rang. And this young woman said, hi, were you trying to reach out to John Eldridge? And I immediately, like, I'm barely like, yeah, I don't even know. I was like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. A lot of guys are looking for it. I go, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, I've actually called to invite you to something. I said, okay. She goes, can you make it to Colorado? So it ended up being one of the early first or second public event they ever did. And because I kind of did this goofy and again, I'm very spontaneous. That's me. I'm, I'm a creative. I seize opportunities. I just like, what's it going to hurt? I'm going to, you know, internet this <laughs> and find his number. And that led to a call, which led to an event. I brought a couple of guys out with me and it rocked my world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was almost like, and so many men have experienced that. It's like somebody crawled in my mind, read all my thoughts and all my longings and said, yeah, we're going to create it. We're going to create an event. We're going to speak directly to exactly what you've been thinking and feeling and longing for, for 38 years. I mean, I didn't know what to do with it. It was like we had the bat phone to Jesus and it was ringing all weekend long. Mm. And, and, and for a guy that admitted, you're just a concept. I don't know you. Like this is not, it's that isolation, right? And I think when I, when I look back on it, if you're so isolated and distant from your own heart, right, which is where all the goodies come from, right? That's the gold, right? The Hebrews understood it. That's where everything flows from. If you're really distant from that, you're not going to be close to anyone. And I knew it and it rocked my world. There was literally a point. So I went from God, I never hear from you. You're a concept. I think this is a joke to God. If you keep doing what you're doing, I can't bear it. Please stop talking to me. I mean, the same guy said both of those things. I literally took my Bible and threw it on the floor. Not in anger. I was just like, enough already. And it wasn't even about the Bible. It was just in that moment, there was something that seemed to jump out at me. And dude, I'm telling you, when that hit the floor, it opened up and there was something that jumped off the page of me like it was alive. It's like I was in a Disney clip. And I just started laughing. I'm like, you're not going to give up, are you? So that was sort of the inciting moment, the disruptive moment. It, it, it felt like an invitation. It was like, absolutely, you get to be the man. Those desires are good. Okay, so you ask me, or you tell me, Tim, how well does church in general handle desire? What, what are the <laughs> views of desire in religion? Well, I'm just supposed to interview you. <laughs> I'm doing all the talking. Just, I mean, well, I that's know the whole point. I know, I know, I know. And this is what I love about these conversations because so many things come out and I, I just love the aspect of that. And you're absolutely right. I think the disconnect, there is nothing that connects men with their desires. And like you just said, like, it's almost like somebody peered in and was able to read the thoughts and the loneliness that you were feeling wild. at. So for those listening, it's uh, John Elridge, and he wrote a book called Wild at Heart. And you can find it is extremely popular. And I would second David's uh, invitation to read it, to connect with him, because it truly does speak to the heart of men. 
and what the passions are that we have, the desires that we have, and how, quite frankly, our society has just skipped right over that. Or even to the point that you're making, I believe, is we've demeaned that part of us to demasculinize, and yet that is something that is deeply part of us as men. So I totally agree. And to answer your question directly, I think not just the church, but all of society has just pretty much put that in a box and thrown it over on the shelf and is choosing to ignore that there is definitely the emotional desire, the passion that men have, and we skip right over it. So it, it's it's inspiring. Let's put it that way. What you're saying is inspiring. Right. It not only distance us, I don't mean the church in every single case, by no means. The church is the hope of the world and it's where the best stuff in my life has also come from. I want to make that clear. I've met some amazing human beings. But religion not only distances you from the heart, it actually tells you stay away from it. It's bad. Yeah. Okay. It, it, you know, and so anyways, to kind of grow up sort of under that and then to have someone say, oh, no, wait a minute. You lose everything if you lose that. But they're there for a reason. They're good. Sure, they need to be, be matured. Sure, you need to grow on them. And, you, you know, yes, of course, grow up, be a man, walk in them. And, and you have some beautiful teachings of the saints from all of church history to guide you in that. Of course. Yes. Wow. What an invitation. So when I came home, it was about 2 a.m. I got into the house. These knuckleheads dropped me off and we, I mean, we laughed all the way out there. We had an amazing weekend. We laughed all the way back. You know, I was the butt of most of their jokes, but that was okay. We just had a ball. They were, two of them were firemen and they love to haze you. That's how, you know, you know, someone in that line of work likes you because they, you know, they haze you. You're part of the brotherhood. And Becky turned on the light. It was really late. The kids were still young and she, you know, wave them goodbye, just laughed. And when she closed the door, she looked at me and she said, you look different. Mm. First thing, you know, my wife said, and then she goes, something happened to you, didn't it? I mean, I mean, if your countenance changes, something happened. Yeah. Anyways, we stayed up the rest of that. It was so, so there was that disruptive, again, invitation. We don't have time for that. One of the deepest messages of my life is you'll never be invited into the company of men. It seems like from that night forward, I was compelled, invited, needed, busy with. It was like men came out of everywhere mm. to the point where I said a few months later, I was like, Becky, I don't understand what's happening. You know, I don't like men's events. I was, most <laughs> men just piss me off. I'm, you know, whatever, because I'm living under the same stuff my dad always said. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is amazing. And then she referred to a, I don't know where you guys go with this, but a prophet came to a little church that we were checking out. And I ended up pastoring that church, but we didn't know that at the time. And this guy had never met us, didn't know what we looked like, didn't know our names, did a prophecy thing over us that I was not comfortable with. And the dude read our mail to him. It was incredible. And I won't give you the whole thing, but this has been years now. And my wife said, you do know when that prophet spoke over you, he said, you would be involved in the company of men and help men become something. I forget. I'm like, no, he never said that. I said, listen, it was wonderful, but he never said that. My belief system was so against that, Tim. I literally had filtered that out. Isn't that incredible? That false narrative of you will never be invited in that you couldn't even hear it when it was being invited. Literally. And they 
Thank God they recorded it on a tape cassette because my wife and her little snip goes, you know what? If you ever want to listen to it, I know where it is. <laughs> and my ego was like, yeah, well, I don't think I need to. Well, weeks later, I one morning at 530, I'm like, hey. She's like, what? I'm like, do you know where that tape is? And she just smiled because I know exactly where it is. She handed it to me. She goes, there. She's waiting for you. <laughs> Dude, I kept hitting rewind. Remember the old rewind? You know, mm-hmm. and it hit play. I was like, dear God, it's right in the middle of it. So, man. God is alive. It's wild. It's bully. I never know if it's for sure. Like you need people, you need the company of others. You need the Holy scriptures. You need people who know your life. You need the eyes and ears and the hearts of others around you. You need all of that to come alive, right? You know, there's no formula. It's just dig in, man. How are you embracing that true narrative? And how are you crafting that narrative now? Because you've made a a drastic, drastic change from the false narrative of I will never be invited into the company of men to now you are actually doing the inviting of other men to come into your company. How do you live that out now? Wow. Uh, Well, some of the things are um, I'm kind of a spoiled son of God at times. I'm hard headed. I know I miss out on stuff, but I don't feel any judgment. anymore. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I'm like, I'm good, Tim. I, I can be a scoundrel all week long. I can use all the freedom that God gives me for selfish gain and all of that. And he's just like, okay, you're a spoiled son, but I'm not using the right words. I don't live under that constant suspicion and judgment that I did for most of my first 40 years. I've been free to that. Hmm. That's a big deal. If I'm not experiencing joy and pleasure and fun, I realize that's not just the icing on the cake. That's the cake. Mm. Okay. And I don't just mean giggles and, you know, but joy is like not an option. Joy is a deep movement of the heart where there's purpose and you found out who you are and you've embraced how you've been made and you're trying to offer it in good ways. It's just like, man, go, 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 go. I even say you can mistake your way to success. I'm good with that too. Like, (laughs) you know, you get your buddy, you were just talking about, you know, a dream you guys have for next week. And I'm like, well, good luck. Is this going to be a good idea in your head? And you know what's going to happen. You're going to get your butt handed to you. (laughs) It doesn't mean you're sinning or you're being a bad boy. You're right. You're, you're stepping out. You're trying. And then something's going to be required of you when the chips fall the wrong way. Mm -hmm. When you go, crap, it was a good idea in my head and now I have to execute. Mm-hmm. But that's all good, Tim. Right? And then, remember you came, your son came and he was like, dude, man, we had this great conversation on the way home. And he's like, man, I never talked to guys that talk like that. And you were like, I forget your son saying, well, I don't know how it happens either. But it's because you guys, we're not in there to correct each other. We're not in there to read next chapter of a book and books are awesome. I'm a reader. We're there. I don't know. How do you say? You said share stories. How are you? You know, What's we keep going on? rails a little bit, but yeah. there's freedom yeah. there and there's friendship and we laugh and we bust each other up. And, you know, the invitation is, can we just be together? Well, and you I, guys, I, yeah, I was just saying, I just want to say this real quick. Oh, please. You please. invited me out with Steve Gold once. I didn't, it was hard for me to get there. Remember my truck broke down and everything like that. And you two did your very best to just speak into my life and affirm. That's all you wanted. I heard no correction. I heard no judgment. I heard no criticism. What I heard in your best of your way, and we didn't know each other that well, was, David, how can we help you? We don't even know how to help you. Do you realize we didn't need to come to a solution for that to be the solution? The solution was, hey, we see you, we know you, we care about you, we're around your life if you ever need us. Like, dear God, and I just want to say thank you on your podcast, because I never said thank you. 
Now that's what it's there for. So now we are quickly running out of time. I wish we could keep okay. going. I may have to bring, invite you back for a second part of the story because this is so awesome. But if there was one thing, because uh, we said a lot of stuff, uh, I, and I, I, for me, the, one of my big takeaways is the fact of creating groups and communities that have no judgment. So that that was really one of my big takeaways. But if you could leave one thing and you say, this is out of everything that we've talked about, I hope that you walk away from listening with this one thing. What would that be? You said I could break the rules, so I'm going to (laughs) do whatever you take. Fight like mad to not live alone. And I don't mean living by yourself in an apartment. I mean, we, my wife and I came to coin a phrase, a word, actually a friend helped us out in Colorado. It's called unknownliness, Mm. the kind of loneliness that's profound and pervasive. And it really means not that you're by yourself. It means you're unknown. No one really knows you. Don't do that. Like you're, you're, you're worth so much more. Fight for community. Let other people in. You need the lives and the energy and, and all of the courage and, and good ideas and laughter and joy and shared life together around you. Again, that's not the icing on the cake. That's the cake. Mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. said to his friends toward the end of his life, I now call you friends. Mm-hmm. Will you be my friends? Mm-hmm. What? So friendship. I'll leave it at that. Friendship. And if you choose to live alone, you miss out on so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if somebody wanted to reach out and just have a further conversation or something that they're struggling with, or if, and I know you, so I know that you're always willing to be able to help somebody, but how can they get in contact with you? If they just want to have a conversation and say, look, I'm alone, or I feel that, say that again, un, un, Unknownliness. Unknownliness. I, I, that's going to be a great little coin phrase, but how can somebody reach out to you? Well, two ways, both include my name and sometimes my last name is hard to spell, but it's pretty straightforward. It's David Guyor. So it's Guy, G-U-Y, like Guy or Gal, Guy or. So David Guyer at Ymail for Yahoo. So David Guyer at Ymail.com. A buddy created a site for me because he's a great friend and it's davidgeyer.com. So, you know, they could go there and then I'm sure there's a contact Dave kind of thing. I'm not yeah. a techie. Uh, <laughs> I love that though. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we will definitely put that in the show notes. So those that are listening can hear or they can find it in the show notes. That way you don't have to copy it down. But if you do copy it down, you've got that. Again, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for sharing really some powerful, powerful concepts and, um, I have nothing else to add to that because it was just so awesome. So I, I appreciate that. I'm going to just go ahead and close it out. And thank you guys for listening. And then stay tuned. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, give a like. If you're watching it on podcast, make sure you also let us know if something's impacted you. Reach out to myself. Reach out to David. Uh, either way, we'll, we'll take because we love hearing the impact that we have. But until next time, keep writing your narrative and living out your true life. Thanks for listening to today's show, but before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.